Good morning. Please open your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 10. Zechariah chapter 10. This morning we'll be covering the entire 10th chapter. We will begin by reading the first two verses of that chapter. So let's find our place there and stand together. We'll read these two verses and then pray for the Lord's help as we study His Word. Zechariah 10, verses 1 and 2. Ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain, from the Lord who makes the storm clouds, and He will give them showers of rain to everyone the vegetation in the field. For the household gods utter nonsense and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning as your flock, and we praise you, Lord, that it is true we have a shepherd. We we are not a people wandering for lack of a shepherd, but you have given us the Lord Jesus Christ, who has loved us so well. Father, many of us this morning are, are bringing with us circumstances and cares that have moved us to forget, in a sense, that we have a good shepherd. And so we thank you, Lord, for the text before us this morning. It reminds us of important, glorious things. And we ask, Lord, that as we study this morning, that you would do what we have already read about and sung about this morning, that you would shepherd us, that you would lead us beside still waters, you would calm our souls. You would call us to trust in you. We need your help with this. And so we pray that your spirit would be active among us, accomplishing these things in us. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our good shepherd. Amen. Please be seated. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. 
Some of us this morning, we, we hear that passage from John 10 or, or Psalm 23, which we began with this morning, and we are almost surprised by this, this news. Oh yeah, the Lord is my shepherd. Beset with, with a great variety of difficulties here this morning. We, we have financial issues, relational issues, familial problems, physical problems, spiritual issues. We're beset with these many things. We continue, though, to engage in the mission of the church. Our minds and hearts, as, as we continue that work in the midst of personal difficulties, our minds, our hearts can just become a cacophony of voices. Different voices calling to us, giving us counsel, pointing us in different directions in which we should go. And sometimes it feels as if life is just noise. The Lord knows this. And so he has filled his Bible, our Bible, with passages like like this one. Where Zechariah is given a message to encourage the people to trust their shepherd. John 10, Psalm 23, Zechariah 10, passages that we desperately need in this life. Passages that are, that are crucial to the life and mission of the church because they call our attention back to the very source of our life. And, and by these passages, all of that noise is, is silenced by the voice of the Lord in the text saying to us, I'm your shepherd. Come back to me. Trust me. You've trusted me with your sins. You can trust me with your circumstances. And, and our souls, just like that, are calmed and we find rest and sustenance in the Lord Jesus. This message this morning is going to be quite simple. We are just going to return to things that we already know, but that we desperately need to think about. The character of our shepherd king. How badly we need him. And how perfectly trustworthy he is. The oracle in which we find this passage extends from verse, I'm sorry, chapter 9 through chapter 11. And it tells of a shepherd king. Last week we looked at this, this wonderful king, mainly as it pertains to his reign over all things. He rules over all things, but as we come into chapter 10, we find that we have a king who has the heart of a shepherd. And it is likely the case that many among us need to be reminded of the shepherd heart of this one who rules over us this morning. The, the main purpose of this passage is to move us to trust in this good shepherd. Trust in the good shepherd. And we, we get this from the very first verse in the chapter. Verse 1. Ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain. From the Lord who makes the storm clouds. And he will give them showers of rain to everyone, vegetation in the field. The idea of this king as a shepherd, it actually began back in chapter 9 in verse 16 where he calls the people the flock of his people. And he, in verse 17, speaks of giving them sustenance, grain and wine. We've noticed in, in past weeks how 
the fruit of the ground, this grain, the, the, the grapes, the wine, the figs, all of these things represent God's provision of himself. And Jesus also talk, talks this way in, in John chapter 6. He calls himself the true food, true drink. So we find here, ask Yahweh in the season of spring rain. Ask rain from him. See, it's rain that causes that grain to grow back in 917. It's, it's rain that causes the grapes to grow, which, which give wine. Ask from the Lord, he'll give rain and he'll give the vegetation of the field. And again, Hosea would encourage us to think not only of this fruit of the ground as representative of the Lord, but Hosea would encourage us to think of the rain itself as representing the Lord. Listen to Hosea chapter 6, verse 3. Let us know, let us press on to know Yahweh. His going out as sure as the dawn, He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. The Lord comes and waters us. He compares Himself to the spring rains. So also, chapters like the Messianic Psalm 72, where we read there in verse 6, May He be like rain that falls on the mown grass like showers that water the earth. We find this idea also in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3. Isaiah 44, 3, where there, there, there are two sentences in this verse, and they both they say the same thing, just using different words. So, so, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. He's saying the same thing in two different ways. His his rain, his spirit pours out on us blessings. The the king that we are presented with in Zechariah 9 through 11 is a shepherd who sustains his flock by giving himself. And by the blessing of his own spirit, he causes them to flourish. Think John 15. You are in the vine, and because of the vine, you bear much fruit. So ask rain from him. The message then is should be clear to us as, as we move through this. Cling to this shepherd. He's presenting the king as a shepherd. Ask for sustenance from him. He is all you need. Seek him. Trust this good shepherd. And we see this good shepherd doing a couple of things in chapter 10 that, that would lead us to trust him, to cling to him, to depend upon him. And the first of these is that in his coming, he replaces other shepherds. He replaces the shepherds, these shepherds that, that Jesus spoke of in John chapter 10. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. This good shepherd comes in and drives them away and takes their place. Look at verse 2. For the household gods utter nonsense and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. My anger is hot against the shepherds and I will punish the leaders. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. People are depicted as as sheep going astray for lack of a shepherd. When he says they're afflicted for lack of no shepherd, he does not literally mean that they they have no leadership at all. Because verse 3 will speak to the fact that he is angry with their shepherds. What he means is that they have no one leading them to life and godliness. They have no one leading them to the Lord himself. 
the, the leaders of Israel throughout their history, with notable exceptions, their kings, priests, their scribes, and, and many of their prophets were characterized, they were all characterized as shepherds in the Old Testament. However, most of them were bad shepherds. Their leadership was so poor that it was like having no shepherd at all. And he, he mentions here they're consulting false false gods and diviners and false dreams. And we have numerous examples of Old Testament leadership doing that very thing. In 1 Samuel 28, Saul consulted a medium. Ahab intentionally consulted only false prophets who would tell him what he wanted to hear. We find that in 1 Kings 22. There are many other examples. But their, their leaders engaged in these things, going after false gods, looking for lies, looking intentionally for lies. And so the people followed suit and were led astray from faithfulness to Yahweh. So that Isaiah writes in his 53rd chapter in the 6th verse, All we like sheep, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The truth supplied to the Gentiles, us, in 1 Peter 2.25, where we read that, that, that you, Gentiles, you were straying like sheep. It's the natural condition of the human heart to stray from the Lord. We, we follow after everything but God. We follow men. We follow our own flesh. We follow the devil. And these, these shepherds, these, these evil shepherds lead us to nothing but misery, both in this life and in the next, because the penalty of our straying from the Lord is eternity in hell. But we find here in Zechariah 10 that God's disposition toward his sheep, sheep who are straying from him, is one of compassion. He, he has compassion for them in the midst of their rejection. And we see this in the Lord Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36, where we read that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Now we are, we are responsible for our own sin. The Lord takes vengeance on those influences that lead us away from him. In verse 3, he tells us he's angry with the shepherds. In, in Judah, those shepherds were the, those bad kings of old, the fa- false prophets, For us, it could be anything leading us away from Him, anything that holds influence over us, anything that we're following instead of the Lord Jesus. He's going to bring all of those things to nothing and insert Himself because He loves the sheep. There's a a great use of Hebrew vocabulary in verse 3. The the same word is used in two completely different ways, back to back. And the way that the ESV translates it so that we understand what it means, we we lose the the intended irony of of the words used. I will punish the leaders, he says in verse 3, I will punish the leaders for the Lord of hosts cares for his flock. So the word punish there in the ESV and care, they are translating the same Hebrew word. And that word in its most basic meaning is visit. I will visit the leaders for the Lord of hosts visits his flock. The more that I study the Bible, the more I see what a blessing it was to grow up in Texas. Because 
the way they use language down here, there are many parallels between the Texas version of the English language and biblical Hebrew, because in Texas and other other parts of the South, I, I know Pastor Rick can probably identify with this, maybe Steve Hankins, we also use the word visit in many different ways. For example, uh, visit, of course, would mean to go and, and see someone, but if you were to walk up to a group of people who are talking and ask them, hey, what are you all doing? They might say, oh, just visiting. The visiting is a wonderful thing because it is, uh, it is a carefree activity where everybody talks very slowly and they say almost exclusively humorous things. Visiting is one of the great blessings of, of life in these United States. But when I, was, when I was a little boy, if my dad were to say to me, if you don't knock that off, we're going to have a visit. Well, see, that means something completely different. <laughs> my dad was always willing to have a visit. In fact, that's why I'm so well behaved now. It's because my parents were very generous with their time and were willing to visit at any moment. In both places here, we are, are to envision the Lord bringing His presence to bear. He's, he's visiting both the ungodly shepherd and His people. He visits judgment upon, upon those leading His people to stray, astray. He visits blessing upon His people. So He comes to His people bringing blessing, and part of that blessing is bringing punishment upon their poor leaders. I'm going to visit the leaders and I'm going to visit my people. So he, he, he removes these bad shepherds, and he replaces them with himself. We'll, we'll talk about the mechanism for that replacement here shortly, but at this point we just want to see that the Lord comes to replace bad shepherds with himself, the good shepherd. And that seems clear from verse 4. Look at verse 4. From him, he's talking about the Lord, from him shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler, all of them together. The cornerstone, a tent peg, a battle bow, and every ruler. The cornerstone we're, we're well familiar with from chapters like Psalm 118 and Isaiah 28, Matthew 21, 1 Peter 2, other passages that take that image of a cornerstone and apply it to the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone of the house of God. He's the pivotal stone in the foundation of the church, giving it direction, giving it purpose, giving it strength. And so, direction, purpose, and strength, this is, this is one way that the shepherd serves his sheep and loves them well. He says also that from him comes the tent peg. Now, this could refer to a tent peg. It can also just refer to a peg, a strong peg, placed in a wall from which something could be hung. And it's used a couple of times, uh, one in Isaiah 22, another in Ezra 9, of something like a peg on which to hang the hopes of the people. So we might say that this peg is a person on whom the hope of the people can rest without giving way. The shepherd is, is bringing a firm hope to the people. From him shall come the battle bow. We also saw this in chapter 9 as we, we saw this great king who is a warrior. He fights in and through and for his people. So we're revisiting that idea here. From him comes the battle bow. From him comes, comes a fighting presence. A fighting shepherd, from him shall come every ruler. 
the text says. So we might say that he's going to raise up godly under-shepherds to care for his people. And the, the result of all of these gifts from the shepherd is direction, stability, hope, victory, leadership. The result of these things is in verse 5. They shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them, and they shall put to shame the riders on horses. Any Notre Dame fans here? Got one? Don't talk to no, about uh, Steve Hankins to uh, about the Fighting Irish. Okay, just word, word of warning. It's a little raw, I'm sure, brother. I'm sorry about yesterday. That was a terrible thing. Our our brother Steve actually was at the game yesterday, and it was a heartbreaker for some. Fighting Irish is what I want to talk about right now. Okay. Fighting Irish, we, we have an adjective and a noun that seem to go together. People think of Irish people as what? Having terrible tempers, right? So you, you put fighting on the beginning of that, and it makes a great mascot. Fighting Irish, it makes sense. We've got something completely ironic here in this text in that we have, because of the presence of this shepherd, we have fighting sheep. You don't typically think of sheep as fighters. But because of the presence of the shepherd among them, they become warriors. They'll become like mighty men in battle, he says. Trampling the foe in the mud of the sheep, the streets. These are sheep trampling on their enemies. Why? Because of the presence and influence of their shepherd. We'll see more of how this might happen in them as we continue in the passage. In his coming, he replaces the shepherd's makes himself our shepherd. He removes those evil shepherds out of the way and he, he takes their place. Second, in his coming, he restores the sheep. He restores the sheep. And so we have the opportunity now to, to think back about to how the Lord has blessed us in calling us to himself, saving us, blessing us in all of these, these many ways. Look at verse 6. I will strengthen the house of Judah... And I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them. And they shall be as though I had not rejected them. For I am the Lord, their God, and I will answer them. When you, when you, when you shout in a lot, loud, large auditorium or, or in an outdoor canyon, you have that initial sound of, of your voice. It's loud. It's very clear. The echoes, the, the following reports... They say the same thing, but they begin to sound different. The, the, the sound changes a bit. And we can think of verse 6 here as the first shout. And the rest of the passage has a number of echoes saying the same thing, but sounds slightly different. The Lord reveals three shouts, we might say, in verse 6. Three things that he plans to do for his sheep. Things which now for us are Past tense, he has done these things for, for us. He says, I will strengthen the house of Judah. We find echoes of that idea, the Lord strengthening and blessing his people in various ways. He says, I'll save the house of Joseph. There are echoes of redemption and ransom that come later. He says, I will bring them back, which is followed then by echoes of the Lord gathering his flock together and bringing them home. And these three shouts, we might say, echo through the rest of the passage and the sound 
of each, they kind of begin to bleed together at times. The rest of this chapter does not lend itself to a, to a nice, neat outline with three verses given to each, to each point. So we might think of this, the, the rest of this passage as more of a song than, than a treatise. So, so we will look at each of these three ideas and their corresponding echoes in the rest of the passage. At the end of verse 6, he declares that he does three, these three things because he has compassion on them and because he is the Lord their God. More of what we've already seen earlier in the chapter. He has the disposition of a kind and loving shepherd toward the people. Now I'm going to take these in a different order because of the, uh, for thematic reasons. So first of all, let's talk about him saving his people. He saves or ransoms. And in verse 6, he said, I will save the house of Joseph. And we get the first echo of that idea in verse 8. So jump down to verse 8. I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them. And redeemed means to ransom, to, 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 to buy them back. The picture that we have here is, is one of Slavery or bondage from which the shepherd buys back his flock. Now what is the nature of, of the slavery that the Bible is concerned with here? Paul in Romans chapter 7 speaks of the lost person as sold under sin. Slaved to sin. Earlier in Romans he writes of sin reigning in death. From, from Adam, we inherited depraved hearts, enslaved to our sinful condition, and that sin took us captive unto death, spiritual death, separation from God, an inability to, to want God, and eventually it culminates in eternity under His righteous wrath. And we all were absolutely helpless to save ourselves. We could not buy our own freedom from sin and death. What a hopeless situation. Hopeless situation. Reminds me of a part of Alex Haley's epic novel, Roots. There's a, there's a side story that runs through that book of a slave named the Fiddler who was an accomplished musician. And so his master would hire him out to other masters for their parties and his master was so kind as to allow the fiddler to keep a small portion of the money made from hiring him out. That master had told the fiddler at some point in his life that the fiddler was worth $700. You're worth $700. And so this slave determined that he was going to save every cent of his fiddling money until he had enough to buy his own freedom. $700. So for years and years, he saved, dreaming each night of what it would be like to, to, to be free and to go north. After 900 gigs, over the course of 33 years, he had saved $700. So he showed his money to his friend, Kunta Kinte. And Kunta said, it just seems too good to be true. A bit of literary foreshadowing. The fiddler replied, oh, it's, it's true, all right. I've counted it a thousand times. Even got enough extra to buy me a cardboard suitcase. 
And the next day, Kunta went looking for the fiddler, and he, he heard his fiddler. Be, he heard the fiddle before he saw his friend. And usually the fiddle music was, it was lively and joyful, but on this occasion, his fiddle seemed to be sobbing. And one look at the fiddler's face, and Kunta knew what had happened. The fiddler had taken his money to his master to buy his freedom, and the master replied that with the rising prices of slaves, he simply could not take any less than 1500 So the fiddler knew that he, w- he would never live long enough to earn that much money. Never. And so he took his most prized possession, his fiddle, and he threw it into the river, destroying it. A slave, he needed somebody far wealthier than himself to free him. It, it, it never would have happened. Even more impossible is it for the person enslaved to sin, to buy his own freedom. There is only one payment for sin, and it is death. So how do you pay that payment yourself and then live to enjoy the freedom that comes from it? It it can't happen. The sinner needs someone perfectly righteous to die for him and to ransom him from slavery to sin. Look at verse 11. We have another echo. He shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea. And all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. We could not pass through the sea of troubles and defeat the waves of death. We could not defeat what enslaved us but the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, could. And here there is a revisiting of those, those Old Testament pictures of, of people being liberated from slavery in, in the Exodus and, and the return from exile. Just as the Lord led the people out of slavery from Egypt and, and back to Judah from the exile, so Christ has redeemed us from a greater slavery, slavery to sin and death. And he did this by paying the penalty for our sin and suffering death in our place. Jesus passed through the sea of troubles, making a way for us. By his atoning death on the cross, he fully paid the debt of sin against us. Three days later, he was raised from the dead, proving that he was victorious over sin and death, and that he has the right to give life, to give freedom to whomever he chooses. He purchased our freedom by his own blood. And everyone who repents of their sin and trusts in Jesus Christ enjoys that very blessing, freedom and life in Christ. That's why Jesus said of himself in John 10, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's not just that he is willing to do so, but he has done so to purchase their freedom, that they might be his He is the only good shepherd, the only good shepherd. And so Zechariah would call us to trust this shepherd. He redeems, he ransoms his sheep. Second, he gathers them, he gathers. Again, in verse 6, we find him saying, I will bring them back because I have compassion on them. And it shall be as though I had not rejected them. Sheep can go a long way without the shepherd watching over them. They can go far afield, and that certainly played itself out in the history of 
of God's people. They were scattered all over because of their rejection of him. As a measure of judgment, to to drive them back to him, actually, they were given over to foreign powers. And in, in the return from exile, we see a picture of God gathering his people to himself. The ultimate fulfillment of this gathering together is the building of the church from converted souls of every nation. We get an echo of this in verse 8. I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I've redeemed them, and they shall be as many as they were before. As the prophet saw in in that second vision earlier in this prophecy, the the people of God would live as, as villages without walls because of the multitude of their number. As, as the Lord adds to them from many Gentile nations joining themselves to the Lord. There's another echo in verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10. Though I scattered them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall remember me, and with their children they shall live and return. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt, and gather them from Assyria, and I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon, till there is no room for them. Other prophets, in concert with Zechariah, would have us to understand that this is a gathering not just of the scattered Jews, but of the natives of those lands from which he calls back his people. In other words, this is a gathering of Jews and Gentiles. I'm going to read just a couple of verses from a long, glorious passage in Isaiah 19, where the Lord declares that he will make a people of the Jews and the Assyrians and the Egyptians. Psalm, I'm sorry, Isaiah 19, 21, and the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offering, and they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. Verse 24, in that day Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. The New Testament authors take the blessed promises made to Israel and his people, and, he, and they apply them to the Gentile church. This is, this is not a new thing. We find, we find it not just beginning in the New Testament, but we find it in passages like Isaiah 19. We find other prophets doing it in the Old Testament. Hosea, Jeremiah, Amos, and of course, Jesus in this same Passage that I read earlier, John chapter 10, the passage about the good shepherd. Jesus says this of the Gentiles, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. John 10, 16, I have other sheep, Gentiles, which are not of this fold, the Jews. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. So Paul explains this to us in Ephesians chapter 2, perhaps more clearly in Galatians chapter 3, where he teaches that all those who are of faith are children of Abraham. If you are Christ's Gentile or Jewish believer, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So so this is not a a separate gathering that we see here of of a, a gathering of Jews over here and a gathering of Gentiles over here, but it's one gathering of one flock with one shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
gathering from all nations at one body, his bride, the bride of Christ. He gathers all to himself. And I, I, would, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, that if you claim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is your story. You were scattered to the wind, following after yourself, following after the world, the flesh, and the devil. But the Lord has gathered you into this one flock with one shepherd. He gathers them to himself. That's so key. It brings us to this third way that he's loved us. He, he strengthens or blesses us by giving himself. He strengthens or blesses. It says in verse 6, I will strengthen the house of Judah. We get an echo of that in verse 7. Look there with me. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. We, we've, we've already seen this because we, we've, we've seen how the, the people become a fighting sheep. They're, they're, they're strong instead of weak. Again, why is that? It's because the shepherd is with them, giving them strength. Their, their hearts are glad because of his presence. I, I, hear, I hear in this, Psalm 16, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right side. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My heart is glad and my being rejoices. Why? Because the Lord is with me. The Lord is my strength. That's the same psalm, Psalm 16. Same psalm that says, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. When we come to Christ, trusting in Him, our curses become blessedness. Our sorrow is replaced with gladness. Why is that? Because of the Lord Himself who is our good. He gives all of Himself to us. The Lord, is, as our shepherd, He restores us in that he, he gives us a knowledge of himself. We find another echo in verse 12. I will make them strong in the Lord, and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. With, with Christ as our shepherd, we, we, are, we are strengthened, but this is not a strength that is inherent in ourself. He, we're strong because of his work in us. And in enjoying his strength in us, his strength in us, rather than a strength that is ours inherently, is, is better because we get to experience him. This certainly seems to be Paul's disposition in 2 Corinthians 12, where he says, I'll, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So when, when his strength is at work in us, we experience him. We, we live by him. We live for him. We enjoy him. As we, as we close, let's turn our attention back to the opening, opening verse, Zechariah 10.1. Ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain. From the Lord who makes the storm clouds, and he will give them showers of rain to everyone, the vegetation of the field. Ask rain from the Lord. Depend upon him. Consciously choose to live in the care of this shepherd king. Don't look to other, other shepherds. Follow other voices. So, some of us are in situations right now 
where we have, we have needs of various kinds. Perhaps you have some kind of thorn in the flesh. You have a broken relationship about which you, you, you feel like you've done everything you can to mend it. Maybe you have a wandering child, wandering grandchild, wandering brother or sister. You, you have a, a terrible financial hole and you've got no clue how you're going to get out of it. Maybe you've got a disease that is functioning like something of a, of a ticking clock on your life. And in the face of these things, there are a host of voices vying for your attention. It's a ton of noise. The voice of the Good Shepherd would call to you this morning to silence all of that and say, just listen to me. Return to me. Trust me. Depend upon me. Think about all of these things that I have done for you in the past. If you could trust me with your sin, you can trust me with your circumstances. The Lord Jesus is a good shepherd and he's working good for you right now. Many of us this morning just need to hear that the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. We need to believe the scriptures. I'm going to pray here in a moment and then we will we will share a moment of silence together silent reflection and encourage you to think about how the lord would have you to think rightly about your current situation given that he is the good shepherd let's pray together Father, we thank you for your tremendous kindness to us. Your willingness to repeat yourself, to patiently repeat yourself. We, we don't have one portion of scripture calling us to this part of your character, this good shepherd heart that you have. Not one portion of scripture calling us to this, but, but one after another, after another, after another, calling us to Trust in you because we have seen your character at work in our past and in our present. Thank you for your kindness, your willingness to repeat yourself. We ask, Lord, now that your voice would silence all of the other voices around us, kind of clouding our judgment, clouding the way that we see our, our circumstances clouding the way even that we view you. We silence those voices, Lord, and call us back to the gospel. The gospel of a good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. The gospel of a loving father, you who, if you're willing to give us Christ, how will you also not with him freely give us all things? Help us to see your shepherd heart this morning and rest in it. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.